Hello, Climactic listeners. It's Maxine with another story from regional Victoria. This episode of Climactic is a conversation I had with Ballarat-based artist Merrin Bridey. I've watched Merrin's transition from reluctant corporate to practising artist with delight, and my excitement grows as her body of work does, especially because the subject evokes such hope in our future. Merrin's intentional practice is shaped by her circumstances, her practical requirements defined by having a toddler and her subject derived from her need to explore optimism in our political and physical landscape. Since recording this conversation last month, Merrin has booked her first solo exhibition. It's happening from the 17th to the 27th of October at Toot Art Space in St Kilda. The show, Electric Prisms, will have an official opening on Saturday the 19th of October and I would love to see some of you there. We're sitting in Marin Bridie's studio in Ballarat. We have baby Delphina, <laughs> and uh, I'm not sure what number uh, episode this will be, but... Quick editor's note from producer Mark, episode 56. Enjoy. Uh, it'll be my third interview. Hello to the Climactic crew tuning in. And uh, yeah, we're, we're here with an artist in, in the room. So I'll describe a little bit about what I'm looking at. Marin's sitting with a canvas in her hand and there's green paint being applied yeah. currently on top of some gold. Gold yellow, would you say? Yeah, kind of a gold, kind of a mustard. Mustard yellow, yeah. yeah. And some salmon yeah. colour. And I don't know what other colours will come after the green. Mm. olive green Uh, and we have a painting that's finished on an easel behind her uh, which is beautiful just gorgeous flow of color and shape and this is the latest one to be finished the one on the easel yes yeah framed ready to go yeah in a series and we'll start from from that Mm -hmm. tell me about this series What, what are we looking at wind turbines it's amazing yeah (laughs) mostly yeah so they're just i guess abstractions of the landscape around ballarat yeah there's a few how many wind farms are around oh there's there's a number there's and they're 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 building more all the time so the one that i've gone to most is at mount mercer Mm -hmm. but there's one at warbra too um, so you're a bit of a wind farm watcher. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> like a train spotter. Yeah, like a train spotter, <laughs> a wind farm watcher. Yeah. What drew you to these wind farms? Well, I've always loved them, really. I've, I've always thought that they were pretty amazing. Where Especially the first, the first ones? ones that I saw. The first ones I saw were the Warbra ones, and that was travelling out to Beaufort and Lexton oh. on my way to a music festival. 
Would that be a rainbow serpent? That would be rainbow serpent. Oh, those and, are the ones uh, that lit up at night. Yeah, yeah, mm. well, yeah. You can see them from the hills. I used to, I used to. That was the first time I saw them. That was the first time I came down to Victoria. Really, where are you originally from? I'm originally from Sydney. Mm-hmm. I just remember thinking they were beautiful, and thinking that they were, you know, a, a symbol of the future. And and then, um, you know, a couple of years ago, I had a baby, my first baby, and. I found myself, I mean, you do because you're doing a lot of driving with a newborn. Well, I was doing a lot of driving with my newborn because it was one of the easy ways to get to sleep. Her um, to sleep. Her to yeah. sleep, yeah. <laughs> Not, Not me you. to sleep, you know. <laughs> her to sleep. And, um, yeah, and so I'd, I'd drive with her and there are a few places that I'd go to around town because they're a good nap distance, but one of those places was Mount Mercer and the wind farm there. And increasingly I just ended up going there all the time and what did it do to your state of mind it calmed me down yeah so what was the i mean the, 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 the well the, the the thing when and it's not uncommon for new parents to be reflecting on the state of the world and this place that we've brought this horrifyingly vulnerable human into mm. and yeah the Driving out there and sitting underneath the turbines was just a reassurance that everything was going to be okay. <laughs> or that everything might be okay, might be hopefully. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, you know, that people were, were putting millions of dollars into infrastructure that means we don't have to rely on energy sources that are demonstrably destroying our planet. And, you know, when we're dealing with a government that has done nothing, essentially, for over a decade, when we've been dealing with the knowledge of what we're doing to this planet for over 30 years, my whole life, Mm. it's just so reassuring to know that people are actually taking that step, planning for that. They're doing stuff. They're doing something. It may be international companies, but... <laughs> yeah, they may be international <laughs> companies. And, yeah, and it's, you know... <laughs> but it's still... There's plans. We're using there's the something power happening. locally. We're using the power, yeah. yeah. And it's like, you know, regardless of, of our government stagnation and their inability to find a way forward, people are just going ahead and doing it. And uh, that means for me that eventually when, you know, we do have some way forward in a meaningful sense from the government that it won't be a matter of trying to then start you won't be we won't be starting from scratch i guess yeah we'll be we'll have something in place to begin with there's a lot in that um <laughs> we're so close to an election as well it's been yeah. called um climactic listeners are always um interested in this topic but it's also often a topic that we try and figure out uh, how and when people came to care. Mm. You say that there was a time when your baby was born, but were you were you concerned before? Was there a time that you... Yeah, so, I mean, I've been going to Greenpeace rallies since I was a kid. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> who, talk, who took you to your first My rally? parents. My ah, parents took okay. me to things. I, I remember going to the rally at the Sydney Opera House when... 
there, were, there was a campaign to try and raise awareness about how we couldn't go above 350 particles per meter ppm. PPM refers to parts per million. As of the 6th of May 2019, the atmospheric parts per million of CO2 is 414. That means that for every million molecules there are in the atmosphere, 414 of them are CO2. It was about how we were, we were about to hit this 350 ppm carbon metric in the, in the atmosphere, and we couldn't go above that because if we go above that, we're going to accelerate the rate of ch climate change. And we're now over 400. Yeah. And that was not that long ago. That was like maybe 15 years ago that I went to that. Yeah. So this, that was with your parents. That was with my parents too. And then um, you went. You must have started going by yourself as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I've gone to a number of things. I can't remember all of them, but, yeah, I've always been concerned. I've always been involved in... I've always loved going out into the environment. So bushwalking and just being in the bush and being by the beach, feeling the wind. Mm. That's like, it's a huge part of who I am. And so, yeah, I think it's always been a bit of a concern, but most urgently in the last 10 years. Um, did you stray from that direction at some points in your life? Did uh, you become I, complacent or defeated? Yeah, I guess accidentally, yeah. I mean, it's always been a concern of mine, but, I mean, there was a period of time where I, I worked in corporates and I worked in advertising, basically. Not Clive Palmer, no. No, no, no. <laughs> Not the Clive Not Palmer. Not political advertising. No, well, but yeah, working, you know, just working in advertising, working for things, you know, working my b off and just not really feeling good about anything. Yeah. At the end of the day, not feeling like I'd achieved anything. Working with, uh, working with an industry of people who I think felt the same too. And how did they overcome that feeling or, or mask it? Oh, I don't know. I guess it's different for everybody. Yeah. But I don't know. I think by and large there wasn't that much happiness in those buildings. Yeah. I might just be reading into that. I don't know. But Is that when you moved down to um, Melbourne? Yeah. So I, I, stopped, I, I stopped working there and decided that I wanted to get in, that I wanted to work in arts. I, I decided that I basically didn't want my energy, all of that energy that I was spending every week at work to be going into making the world a worse place. So I decided to try and find a way into art and in doing that I found my way down to Melbourne and yeah, that, that was sort of how that happened. And you started out curating, is that right? Yeah, working in galleries, Yeah, doing some curating, exhibition design, I worked independently, but then yeah, as a as a gallery as a gallery manager mostly for the last decade. Yeah, so I started in galleries, and I guess it's kind of a, a bit backward in that sense. At university, I'd studied a lot of art theory and film theory, and through that, studied a lot of theories around modernity and uh, spectatorship. Mm. and how spectatorship, how contemporary spectatorship had developed through things like cinema and theme parks and that kind of, you know, mass audience sort of participation sort of thing. So I had studied a lot of the theory 
but I hadn't actually done much of the practice of art, but I had always practiced art, I guess. What do you mean by? So I'd always made art. Yeah. But you, but I hadn't studied the making of art. So my thought was, I want to be an artist, but I also can't afford to not make money and to go back and study that kind of thing. So I thought, well, maybe my play, my way into that is by learning the business of art. Yeah. So going into galleries. And since my background, my background in advertising was in organising, I was not too bad at that, <laughs> working in galleries and organising artists. And I'd done a lot of artist liaison um, previously. So, yeah. So it was kind of a good fit. It was a really good fit. Yeah. But then when, yeah. And so I've been, I've been making up, but then this series of work sort of just came out of having a bit of space or being at home a lot really with the baby and sort of thinking well maybe I can start building a body of work around this thing yeah this inspirational thing this inspirational thing that I'm kind of obsessed with (laughs) now the series is called electric prisms well yeah that's the that's the the original inspiration yeah so it was so I was going to the turbines I was coming home and then actively trying to find a way to represent that feeling that I was having. And I was, I'm, I'm, I'm always drawn to abstraction anyway. So I was trying to find a way to interpret that movement and that uh, sense of calm and um, using colour to explore spectrums of feeling. And in amongst all that, I was watching a whole lot of documentaries about various artists, um, early abstractionists, and came across the work again of Sonia Delaunay. And she'd done this work called Electric Prisms in 1914. Whereabouts was she? She was based in Paris at this time, but she's was born in Russia, I believe. Mm, okay. And so she's... But she's done this beautiful work of all these resonating kind of concentric circles very colourful, very vibrant, um, inspired by the newly installed lampposts, street lampposts. Electric. Electric street lampposts yeah, on the wow. streets of Paris. What year was that, if you remember? 1914. Wow. She'd painted that. Yeah. And I guess as soon as I saw that, it all kind of fell into place for me. I was like, that's exactly the thing. Because, I mean, 1914 was not a peaceful time in the world. Um, they were coming out of the Industrial Revolution. This is this is the period of time that I had studied theorists and essayists from. So I, I kind of knew a lot of the, the, the history of that period. The perception of self, you know, because we, people had migrated en masse from rural existences into urban existences. They were suddenly experiencing city life mm. the sounds and the smells and the, the speed of city life for the first time their perception of life and of living was being violently upheaved at that time and i think it's a similar thing that's happening to us now i mean mm. we're, we're going through this period of time where our sense our perception is being violently upheaved by 
the internet and by social media and the speed with which we are ingesting and consuming information. And the lack of speed. <laughs> the lack of speed okay. of, like, of, of government. actually government change. Yeah. But, uh, uh, but I mean, you know, going back to 1914, there was also a lot of geopolitical unrest. Um, they were on the precipice of the, second, of the First World War, which was the first modern warfare war mm. that saw extraordinary injuries and just the, the, the change in, that that caused throughout Europe and the rest of the world. Um, Plus the technology. Well, yeah, and that was all because of the technology that was available at that time, that that was possible. And so, like, there's this beautiful scene of street lampposts, electric street lampposts on the street of of Paris, and you can walk down the street and be illuminated, and, and it's beautiful. And it's the new technology, and it's our new landscape, and oh, the future and the possibilities. And that's what she was focusing on. She's focusing on that, on the beauty of it all. So is there an element of darkness to it? Well, the First World War hadn't happened, and I guess there's a sense in which history is always, you know, I mean, hindsight is Mm. is a wonderful thing. Yeah, she wouldn't have known. She wouldn't have known that electricity. (laughs) Yeah, and I mean... Electricity is is good. The way that we have produced it has been bad. Mm, And there was no way of knowing that at that time, that coal was going to... Coal was going to change the way that the planet functioned. Yeah. Um, You know, I mean, we didn't have commercial cars and we didn't have aeroplanes, commercial aeroplanes. And so, you know, it's just accelerated since then. And I see the same thing now that, like, you know, we're looking at this new technology in our landscape and all I see is the positivity and the optimism and what it can do. Without electricity, we wouldn't have a lot of the things we do have today. And a a lot of those things can be seen through a prism of either good or bad. Mm, Yes, yeah. But we we have that knowledge now and we have the technology now and the science now to know that the way that we are producing energy is bad for us. Yes, yeah, and the planet. And the planet. So it's a symbol of hope. It's a symbol of hope for me, yeah. And I think for a lot of people, and and that's why I bought one of your works and hung it on my wall because it is a symbol of hope for me as well. Thank you. And you do get that sense. I completely identify with that sense of, when you see the wind turbines, you think your your heart lifts up. Yeah. But I guess for some people, that's not the case. No. And that's a real shame. It is. Is there... There's another motive in some of your works with a speaker. Is that... Yeah. Am I right in saying that they're... Yeah, like communications speakers? infrastructure. So there's another little anomaly in the uh, in the landscape around Ballarat. Which is so the landscape around Ballarat has got all of these really sort of small, very round hills. Nobbly, I'd say. Nobbly hills, yeah. I love it. When I you mean, drive I, yeah, into I, Ballarat. Love, <laughs> I love to think about. I love to think about the landscape when it was because all of these little hills were once volcanoes, mm. and I love thinking about how these were just islands in a sea of lava once, 
and so you know and the 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 history of that landscape that exists that exists in the geology that landscape the fact that this landscape this country wadawurrung country has potentially had human beings living on it for over a hundred thousand years like there is so much history and knowledge and information that exists here in this place then someone's put a communication tower on one of these hills <laughs> and i and i guess i kind of like i think about them and i think we've been ignoring all this knowledge and all this history and all this information as european settlers for 231 years and it's all just there and it's like we've got these speakers I like to think of them as like I'm not sure whether there are the speakers kind of trying to relay that information to me or that sounds insane or like (laughs) abstraction yeah abstraction (laughs) or like if they're if they're just there waiting for someone to listen or if they're just there maybe bringing us information from the future or is it that it's like warnings yeah i don't know it's so it's like it's the the imagery to me is something so interesting and i still haven't quite figured it out which is they come and go in my work yeah because there's a work behind you right now which has the speakers yeah. And, and one wind turbine. Yeah. See, the first ones, the first ones that I did of those, I were just speakers on the hills. Yeah. And it was called "I Will Die on This Hill." And that is a direct reference to like commonly used kind of uh, language on uh, social media, specifically Twitter. Woke. Well, yeah, woke <laughs> language. Where, but like where someone will like you know throw out an opinion that they have and then they'll say i will die on this hill like do not at me i will die on this hill like yeah okay this is what i, I think not, and i won't change I the way that move. i think yeah <laughs> and that's what i feel like you know they are it's just these open gaping mouths on these like bald hills d- d- trying to get a message out but no one's listening none of them are listening to each other it's not willful ignorance willful mm. shutting down willful kind of yeah so it's i i guess it's it's a it's a it's a it's trying to if for me i think it's trying to find a way to engage with the deep history and the deep past of this place but also the deep future Mm. that's coming maybe they're recording us so that something remains of us in the future wow that is... Do you know what I mean? So it's maybe it's... We that, will die on this hill. We will die on this hill. Mm. And maybe they're just recording us. And our voices and our lives will echo out of these ridiculous structures on these sadly bald hills across this landscape. And the wind turbines will just turn. And the wind turbines will continue to turn. And there'll be no electricity And we can't turn generated. it back. We can't, we can't turn it back. Yeah. A I wolf. like figuring out Hasht- what I'm doing at, on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's all... on the floor. Yeah. Yeah. Will we edit it out or not? <laughs> I think it's quite interesting. Now it's time for Climactic Community Corner, where we play voice messages sent to us on Facebook. We're opening up this space for the community to share events, news, thoughts, 
feelings, all sorts. If you've got a message to share, just send it to us at Climactic Show on Facebook or hello at climactic.fm. Climate change is and should be the meta issue of this election. We can't deliver economic or social policy without a functioning ecology, and the IPCC says we have under 12 years to turn this around. A Harvard scientist says five, but the time to act is now because our window to stop irreversible warming is closing fast. Climate change is a primary election issue for Australians, but this hasn't been reflected by either the politicians or the media narrative. So a motley crew of concerned citizens and activists have spun up a Vote for the Planet campaign to help make this the climate election. And even though this is a single issue election, it's not so simple to effectively vote for the planet. For instance, did you know that numbering your preferences properly is our secret weapon? A kind of force field to keep the climate deniers and delayers out of Parliament. So our first ask is, get informed at our website at environment.vote and take a look at our climate policy scorecard and we will be posting how to vote for the planet guides for every single electorate. Then start discussing this topic both in real life and on social. Ask your friends and family, will they vote for the planet and show them how and ask them to do the same. The media hasn't been doing its job, so we need to become the media for this last important week. The conversation is shifting. Climate change has gone from being way down the list a couple of weeks ago to the number one election topic being searched for online. But there's still so much to do if we're to make this a climate election. So it's time we combine our superpowers to do something epic. My name is Matt Kendall and we're asking for your help to make sure Australia votes for the planet this election. Hi, my name's Sarah. And I'm Chris. And we're from Forest Conservation Victoria. We're out here at the moment in Borbor holding up logging at a coop on the Borbor Tourist Road. A dedicated conservationist is up a tree at the moment and we're hoping to stay here over the weekend and it would be great if we could have some support at camp. We have a Facebook that you can contact us through. It's Forest Conservation Victoria. You can just search it on Facebook and message us directly through there. It would be amazing if you could come out and support us. Thank you. For the forests! I'd also like to take this opportunity to shout out to PodCoin, the podcast app that gives back. PodCoin have been kind enough to feature us as their number one podcast a couple of times over the last month, especially on Earth Day, and that did huge things for us. We've had over 750 listeners through PodCoin listening to the show for nearly 2,400 hours, and all that time spent listening has been rewarded. If you listen to podcasts on PodCoin, you'll be getting rewarded for your time, and you can either redeem your reward for gift cards or donate it to charity, including fighting climate change. So check out PodCoin if you're listening to this on a podcast app on your smartphone, or if you're not doing that yet, give it a go and take the show with you wherever you are. That's PodCoin, P-O-D-C-O-I-N, on Google Play and the Apple App Store. PodCoin. That to me was the appearance of the speakers was like, yeah, listening or recording or yeah. So they do sort feel of a bit, sinister. They thing. do, they, but they feel sinister as well out there. It's just, yeah. it's just they're so strange. <laughs> and wouldn't it be? Um, I mean, I'm not an expert, but my my knowledge mm. so far of a plateau is that it's quite a significant landmark for would have been for um, what around like a plateaued 
hill generally is something that they look towards um, sacred hill kind of thing. Potentially, yeah. Yeah, You're putting communication devices on there. It's like, yeah, it it does feel sinister anyway. There's there's something about there being an intervention with the landscape that Mm. I have some issue with. And you feel that wind farms are indeed in harmony with the landscape? Well, I feel like we don't have a choice now. I don't think that would be the ideal way to do it. And, I mean, the communication things, we don't really have a choice with that either because we need to be connected. But... Do we? There's a lot, there's a lot, there's a lot, (laughs) there's a lot in that. And I don't know whether I have, yeah, this may not be something that I'd want to be quoted on because there's a lot that I don't understand and I'm not in a position to be able to comment on about that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, so, but I do wonder. I just wonder. I think that we have to intervene in the landscape is a failing on our part in the first place. Mm, Yeah. So do you know anyone else that's practising as an artist that is conscious of this sort of work? Are there people that are putting out work, that are contributing... Yeah, 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 this, yeah. There's heaps. There's actually, there's actually like a whole um, festival on climate, yeah, climate, art, climate. Yeah, art, yeah. yeah. I think we'll be in, covering, um, yeah, covering climate. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of really interesting things happening. There's um, one particular artist that I come across quite a bit called Cameron Robbins, um, and he's very well known and does exceptional uh, kinetic sculptures that are they're like. Well, they are drawing machines and they're powered by things like the wind or the sun or... Wow, that's cool. The rain and the drawings that he does are basic, basically direct, directly made by natural forces. And there's something very poetic about that. Mm. Very beautiful. There are a number of people that I've seen recently actually painting uh, wind turbines too. Did you come There's across not. them through the Wind Alliance? Was that no? That no, I came before. across them through Instagram. Mostly. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't get out very much. Instagram's so I do a lot of Instagram. Yeah, yeah, developing, seeing things through Instagram. But with your communication tower, you you need that for Instagram. That's right. <laughs> I'd be nowhere without my communication towers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, but, you know, so you're not alone in in this medium of talking to climate change and feeling... Absolutely not. No, no, no. The There's a lot of people of doing things directly talking about climate change, yeah. Yeah. And with the painting process, it feels like it would give you hope. Yeah. And it, it is in itself meditation for me. And painting, the composition of the of the geometry... I find it incredibly relaxing and very satisfying and choosing colours. So I paint usually sort of by colour and I don't really have a, a clear idea of what it is that I do. I have, a, I have a vague kind of idea of the feeling I want to capture, but I don't really know exactly how that's going to come about. And sometimes it's, it's something... It turns out to be something completely different to what I expected. Does that happen every time, or not every time? Yeah. But yeah, it does. It does happen. Yeah, it's. I mean, from what I've watched, 
from the original, which is actually hanging in, in the other room, yeah, to the one right next to it, which is pretty recent, recently finished, and then another one. I mean, yeah. you're, you're producing a lot of yeah. work at the moment, which and it's yeah, it's just it's coming out in a flow. It seems, yeah, yeah, which is amazing. It is. I felt like the one that I'd finished sort of at the beginning of this year, which is kind of darker colours. I thought that maybe it was. You know, it, it. I was painting that through a whole series of really kind of dark events that have happened in this world. You know, there's no need to really go over them again. But I look at that painting and I see them in that. Is that the um, the darker greens and blues? Yeah, the darker blues and the dark brown That's, and yeah. the dark. Yeah, there's a something darker about that. But they're mm. still spinning, right? Yeah. And you're noticing new wind bars. Yeah. Which Everywhere. Is really exciting. So do you so go is it like, oh, so there's a new one, gotta go see the new wind farm. No, I'm not quite that bad. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe but, we should but go on and I do need to I do I do want to just go and like yeah, go and see them all because there are a number that I haven't seen and yeah, see the different landscapes that they're in. Because yeah. I mean you see there's a there's a lot of photographers that are really focused on wind turbines and wind farms and capturing them. And that in the Northern Hemisphere up, um, I'm not exactly sure where, but they have them like through the sea. Like mm. that must be extraordinary seeing these, like just a field of them out the to ocean. sea. Yeah. Amazing. So I'd love to see that. I'd love to see like, yeah, there's someone like some really big, big mountains because we don't have that here. No. So much. We have the sea. We, we have could, got the sea. could get that sorted. We have got the if sea. If there's, but out. I don't know what the technology require, well, what the requirements of the landscape is for them. But, but I mean, generally this the is a wind, high wind area. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The wind generally by the ocean is more reliable. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the aesthetic is what we're fighting. Yeah. Which is, I think, similar problem with the surf coast as well is that the legislation says that you can't have a structure above a certain height close to the ocean is that right yeah and that's what prevents i believe that that's what prevents the planning from getting ahead and that's why most of them are inland but you know that's something that could change yeah it is around attitudes though and it's it feels like to me that you've always been of the attitude where you do believe in them. Totally. And in their beauty and in their progress. And totally. so we, we at Climactic are always talking about well, how, to, how do we connect to the people that maybe don't feel like that and yeah. how does the world shift? Yeah. Because that's the challenge. Yeah. I find it odd that the argument against moving on climate change and putting in place serious policy to combat it is always an economic one. Because I think, what is your economy going to matter when we can't breathe the air? Yeah. And also, <laughs> it, it the financial modeling I think will actually 
tell you well, <laughs> that renewables is Well, exactly. The, the financial mod- modelling actually says that like we will be it, we will be better off if we start investing in this new technology and start taking it seriously because we actually have got the resources here naturally available to us in 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 quantities that are not available elsewhere in the world. Apparently we've got so, stuff for batteries too, I've heard. We've got what, sorry? Stuff for batteries too. Yeah. So, like, I mean, that... It, it, like that that's an argument in itself but these people who don't believe in climate change I don't know how you actually access them or why their 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 economic argument just doesn't stack up because in the end if we don't do anything we can't we don't live mm. like that is the the bare bones of it well, the mass extinction not just of animals and plant life but of human beings yeah well it's already happening yeah yeah, I think there's an emerging political leaner that is left economically, mm. but um, sorry, right economically, left environmentally. Yes, and that's that's the emerging age group within our age group anyway, within our demographic, I believe. Yeah, is the the shift between all one way, which doesn't make sense at all. Mm. And so I think that there might have to be a, a move towards that. Mm. Mass extinction may be the answer. <laughs> yeah. But until then... Eventually, someone will see it and go, oh, that's what they were talking about. Yeah. Well, isn't that what happened in Europe? Didn't they have acid rain? Oh, really? I think so. Yeah, right. I need to check my history. We, we need a fact check again here on climactic... <laughs> to see whether acid rain was why Europe decided to clean up their power, but I believe Take it was it seriously. It was like, there was a you know, it, it got close to being. Oh man, they were so yeah. far ahead. Yeah, but they so they got ahead. they but got yeah. in a bad situation before they yeah. fixed it. Yeah, but the well, problem yeah, now that, is that it's global. It's not well global. exactly. It is global, and that's another argument that people throw out is that you know why would we do anything when there are you know bigger nations with larger populations that are polluting the world faster but i mean if you look at china they're investing in renewables that faster than anyone else faster than anybody else <laughs> in fact goldwind's a chinese company yeah and they're building wind farms all over this country yeah because it obviously makes economic sense yeah, <laughs> yeah it is it is an interesting time we live in yeah it is an interesting time it's a scary time. But hopeful, mm. which I think that your paintings depict perfectly. Mm. And it's what we need to remind ourselves of. It's what I need to focus on. Yes. In it all. What else do you do? What else are your climate conscious decisions that you make? Try to ride my bike as much as possible. You have a tandem bike, too. I have a tandem bike. Which is very cool. Which we ride, but we haven't ridden for a while because, um, baby. But we've got a cargo bike. That sounds pretty interesting. Tell me That's about that. That's very good. It's got a big tub at the front of it. and uh, So that fits babe It and fits shopping. baby and shopping and a case of beer if you really need it to. Excellent. You can carry, <laughs> you can carry a lot in that thing. It can carry 70 kilograms. Uh, we're lucky in that where we live is quite flat and so there's a everything I go to during the week usually 
is within, you know, a cycling distance on a flat road. Perfect. Yeah, it is perfect. And yeah, we're 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 quite active in trying to um, further develop bike infrastructure in Ballarat. Both yes, myself and my partner. What's the uh, the group that uh, Ballarat that... Bicycle Users Group? Yes, Balbug. So, and has, there's has there's the some really good plans. There's some really good plans to get some bike paths across the whole the whole town. So you know, along all the, the main arterial roads, and that's really very exciting. Is the main preventative at the moment that people don't feel safe riding? Is that one of the issues? Yeah, so that's the main preventative in Australia for people not taking up bike riding more, um, is that it's been promoted as something that's unsafe to do, and because we don't have the infrastructure in place... That's actually uh, by true. ...by and large, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that makes it unsafe. Yeah people aren't allowed to ride on footpaths but if you ride on the road there isn't really a space for you to ride it's a, a and, big and, blocker and it is sure. a big blocker yeah. so yeah we're we're quite involved in trying to make um make it more uh, bike riding more accessible across the city what about your art practice and your um so you're painting with acrylics are you recycling wood a little bit it's hard to get the right size to do the framing yeah so i order my fr- i do i stretch all my canvases myself and i order my frames in my stretcher bars in um, i also order the frames so i i frame them up separately i don't use oils because you've got to use chemicals yes. with oils and yep. that is a twofold thing that is not just because i don't like putting chemicals into the ground um but because I work in a small room in my home and um, turpentine is a nasty smell it's a nasty smell and I've got a small kid so yeah it's not really it's a fun smell for me from my dad's studio yeah yeah I like it I like it but like yeah it's just not something that you want in your house no you don't Um, it's got to be a studio outside yeah studio outside so if that were ever an option maybe one day then maybe I'll look at oils again but I mean you don't have to yeah, the reason I use acrylics is mostly because of being a mum, really, because, yeah. like... What's the difference? I mean, the visual is, is brighter with oil, more shiny? Uh, no, not necessarily. No. It's more that the the quality of the paint is better. Um, that it's more durable, or... it's got It's got better colour sometimes. Oh, I don't know. It really depends. It's a preference thing. Yeah. It's a preference thing. And, and it depends like, on your style, right? Yeah, you can get more body out of an oil. You can get... You mean more, texture. Yeah. yeah. The history of painting is using oils. So there's a, you know, the artistry and the craft of painting. A school. Yeah, is, say, you know, yeah. is in using oils. And there's a beautiful ritual in using oils, I think. I quite like it for that reason. But for me now doing what I do in the time that I do it I can't afford to use oils mm. because they take so long to dry yeah and the smell and the smell again. and and we wouldn't and, be sitting in this room right now no no we wouldn't we I, I might not even be painting if I had to do it in oils yeah <laughs> but like the the 
Yeah, so like, I mean, I've set up my practice and one of the good things about, I think one of the good things about being a mum or becoming a mum, not that that's a necessity for anybody to have to do, <laughs> becoming a parent, but like, you know, um, is that it has forced me to really zero down on my priorities. Like, seriously zero down on my priorities. What is it that I need to do? How long do I have to make it? What size canvas can I feasibly get done? Mm. And all of those decisions have led to the way that I do my work now. So I pre-mix all of my colours. I use acrylics because they dry fast. Um, I use them because they're stable and I don't have to worry about them, about, you know, layering and setting up the, you know, I mean, I've got to do primers and stuff, but it's not like a... It is what it rambling. is. It is what it is. But like, yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah, I mix all of my colors um, previous to painting, and I have them all set up in little pots so yeah. I can covered lid, lidded pots. Yeah, so I can go and come back and start back where I was, and it's not an issue. And I paint majority small canvases, relatively small canvases that a I can afford to buy, and b I can do them quite fast. Yeah, um, it's not a huge undertaking for me to get them done and I can you know on those small canvases sort of work out what it is I want to do next and and then do a big canvas after that so you've recently been on a video Mm. and now you're going to be on a podcast Mm. what was the video tell me about that um well the Australian Wind Alliance found out about my work and my story and wanted to record it essentially which was really nice how did they find you so my partner being involved in the bicycle users group he also gets involved in some other bits and pieces and um has known uh some someone who turned out to work for them and they caught up and he showed them my work and they were like yeah that would be a great story to tell. Can, can I do a video of your wife? And, and Matt was like, yes. <laughs> and, then he and, then he, and then he called me. He said, so you're doing a video? And I was like, oh, okay, great. Yeah, so that was a really nice thing to do. Yeah, it's a really great video. Where can people find that? It's on the... Um, it's on the Australian Wind Alliance Facebook page and on their blog. And what's next? Where do you see this going? Your work, I mean. <laughs> well, my work, I'm just kind of following it. I don't really know where it's going yeah. specifically, but what I'm aiming, my goal is to have an exhibition towards September, October. Don't cut that out. That bit, we'll, we'll keep that in. <laughs> we'll hold you to it. <laughs> uh, September, October. Yeah. Uh, just a small exhibition, but, and then just keep working, essentially. Just keep painting. But people can buy your... There work now can't people can buy my work now so it's um i basically post everything that i'm working on in real time on instagram my handle's Marin brighty and um i also posted it on facebook and it's also available on my website which is com. perfect and we'll put all the links in the show notes so you'll be able to find Marin and see what she's been up to. Thank you. It's been great chatting to you today about your work and about how you feel about the world. 
Thank you. And the hope that you you get and that yeah. you are putting out to the world as well. I think that's a nice way to reflect it back in time. It's captured. Mm. It is a moment in time. And, mm. yeah, hopefully it's moving towards the right future that we're looking mm. for. But I think you're right in in saying that in some ways it's inevitable. Mm. The track you've been hearing on this episode is Tones on Tales track Rain. And we chose this track because when I sent Meryn a draft uh, snippet of my intro to the show, this track was playing underneath <laughs> and she said it made her cry. So uh, that's a really nice thing uh, to hear feedback wise, but also a nice way to choose the music to go with our show our episode this week and uh, an apt title being rain one of our other renewable resources but also um, precious resource so yeah i hope you've enjoyed today's conversation and today's episode of climactic i'll be back hopefully in four weeks uh, depending on how things go with delphina so thanks for listening This is the first conversation I hope to have with many artists, musicians and events coordinators or producers keen to talk to people within this space. So if you have a story you would like to share with the Climactic listeners, get in touch. This has been a production of Climactic a podcast collective helping local communities tell their extraordinary stories. It's our mission to help elevate the voices of the everyday heroes we're surrounded by and inspire, sustain, and motivate the climate community. We love working with local environmental groups, individuals, nonprofits, and social enterprises. So if you've got a story to tell, please just get in touch. The Climactic Collective is Mark Spencer, Rich Bowden, Maxine Baisley, Georgia Scheel, and Bronwyn Gresham. Our producer is Hazel Fidikara. Our digital design is by Rose Fidikara. Our climactic theme is produced by Greg Drossi, and our logo designed by Abigail Hawkins. We're also pleased to feature the music of the General Assembly. Thank you for listening to Climactic, the podcast for our climactic times. Collective. This show is produced by Hear Media, a boutique audio agency in Narm, Melbourne. To learn more and get in touch, head to hearmedia.studio. That's H E R E media.studio.